I'm going to read a few portions of Scripture, and then we will begin. Starting in the book of Romans, chapter 8. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Now turning again to another letter from the Apostle Paul, Philippians chapter 1. For it has been granted to you That for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. And then Hebrews chapter two, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, speaking of Jesus, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of the Lord. Now, up to this point in confessing the Apostles' Creed, you might think it was describing an ideal, a pristine world. It's spoken of the God who creates the world and then enters, through, in, enters the world through the womb of a woman. So far, there isn't even a suggestion that anything is wrong. The Creed makes no mention of the fall of humanity, of original sin, or of anything in the wrecked world. But now we hear ourselves confessing the word suffered. And like putting our hand on a hot stove, we are snapped to an awareness that all is not well. But we already knew that, didn't we, from our own experience. God comes into the world in the person of Jesus God is met with violent resistance. Theologian Ben Myers writes, The loving creator of the world has been cast out. The judge of the earth has come among us, and we have judged him and put him on death row and then led him to the gallows. Or to put it like the Apostle John puts it in chapter 1 of his gospel, he came unto his own and his own Received him not. (laughs) How understated. The one main criticism of the Apostles' Creed is that it seems incomplete. It contains no account of the life and the ministry of Jesus. And maybe you've thought this before as you have confessed uh, the Creed or maybe heard sermons about the Creed. But the reading of the Gospels, uh, the, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have always been central to the life of the Christian community. The creed was never intended as a substitute for the four Gospels, but only as a map, a a guardrail, if you will, to a faithful reading of the Gospels. And whenever we read Jesus' story, we are to keep in mind that he was born of a woman, That he was a flesh and blood human being. That he had fingerprints, DNA, a certain certain eye color. And see, even for all of the truths of our doctrines and our confessions, which we love and embrace and confess, the Christian faith is about trust in a real human being. It is an encounter with a living person. When we read this living person's story, when we read Jesus' story, we are reminded that he wasn't just another human being, but he was God's 
only Son, our Lord. The living self-expression of God's very will. That is what the creed offers. A general guideline for the faithful reading of the Gospels. The creed doesn't try and include all the details, but only to remind us of the larger arc of the story of who Jesus is and to focus our our attention on Jesus' identity as divine and human. The Son of God, Mary's Son. But here's the thing. It's not really quite right that the creed just ignores everything that happens between Jesus' birth and death. In fact, already among the earliest Christians, it became customary to sum up Jesus' whole life under one word. Suffering. And we can already see that in the Gospels themselves. In, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus on the road to Emmaus, as he's describing his mission and ministry, says this. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things? In Luke 24. In Acts chapter 17, uh, we, uh, Luke records, the, the author Luke records that Paul is preaching a sermon in Thessalonica and he summed up Jesus' life the same way it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer. And then by the time of the later New Testament writings, the word suffering has become almost a formula for referring to the whole story of Jesus' life and death. And we read this earlier in Hebrews chapter 2, where the author there says, he suffered. So this outline of Jesus' story in the creed is a tried and true safeguard against certain ways of misreading who Jesus is and who Jesus is for us. So when the ancient Christians heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, they were tempted to think of Jesus as kind of this supernatural spirit, someone who just kind of floated through, was untouched by all the things that we're touched by, the the effects of the world, untouched by physical life in particular. And so for them, it was important to be reminded that Jesus is a human Lord who, according to uh, 1 Peter 4, suffered in the flesh, right? That he had sinews and muscles and bones just like us. That he was a human like us. They needed to be reminded of the humanity of Jesus because of the philosophical currents and the pressures culturally that they faced at that time. But Christians today, us, that's not really the same pressures. We're more tempted by the allure of a triumphalistic faith. Or a distorted gospel that promises worldly satisfactions and success. In fact, at least in America, this seems to be the predominant temptation. That faith in Christ seems to go hand in hand with being a winner. Being triumphant. Being successful. Being polished. Having, literally and figuratively, your stuff together. See, it's more likely that we will name our churches things like victory and celebration and resurrection than having a church named uh, Suffering Servant Baptist Church, Man of Sorrows Presbyterian Church. And so much of what we call discipleship today is really just the management of goals oriented towards achievement and success and things like 
parenting and marriage and ordering our time and money and finding the right work-life balance. Those things are fine as far as it goes. But we are baptized into a life of a suffering Lord who lays on his followers not a crown, but a cross. Yes, we have been raised with Christ, but we have also been crucified with him too. We will share Christ's glory, yes, to the extent that we also share in his sufferings, according to Paul in Romans chapter 8. Our life then is meant to be, it will be cruciform, cross-shaped, sewn through with a thread of suffering. (laughs) Aren't you glad you came this morning? What does suffering look like for us, though? Because maybe you're thinking, well, I, I, I don't suffer. I don't, that just seems so foreign to me, so odd. My life is comfortable. Well, the early church and some Christians today even experience the suffering of persecution uh, when they experience things like not being allowed to talk about their faith, to give an account for the hope that is in them to others, particularly others of a different religion, or they're forced to pay extra taxes because they are a minority group, being um, living in uh, countries where there's uh, a predominant other, a larger other religion, and so they're taxed accordingly. Some even experience imprisonment, physical harm, marginalization. When I was in my 20s, um, in, in the mid-90s, I had the privilege of uh, helping to church plant. I was really just baggage. I, did, I didn't do a lot, but I was able to watch uh, church planting in Ukraine. And this was right after Ukraine had opened up. It had been a communist country for about 70 years. And a lot of the Christians I'd met there had grown up under communism. And what that meant for them growing up as Christians under communism is that they had lots of um, impositions put on them. They had restricted opportunities uh, for jobs. They weren't trustworthy as Christians, uh, according to the, the communist government. So they would only be entrusted with very uh, certain kinds of jobs where they didn't have too much responsibility and, and limited educational opportunities because what, they're so stupid because they believe that this resurrected Jew is God. Why would we give them uh, an opportunity to learn more? Uh, very often they had real spies uh, come to their meetings and disrupt their worship. They were poor They were restricted in their freedoms. They were treated with scorn and contempt by their neighbors. Truly. And it doesn't seem like we have much of anything like that. And as we're thinking about suffering, what it is, Peter also makes clear in his first letter that if you suffer as a murderer, for example, or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler, that's not suffering in Christ. That's just justice. And please note that last thing. It was interesting as I read this. It was even convicting um, of the things he listed. Meddling, stirring up trouble, uh, provoking others and having it come back on you. That doesn't count as suffering. So if you, just as an example, um, if you fuss about persecution because others simply want, others in, in your culture simply want you to be a good neighbor. And they notice that you're kind of acting like a selfish jerk. And as a selfish jerk, you also name the name of Christ and they dismiss you and they dismiss Christ. That's not persecution. That is not persecution. But hear this, though, because some of you might think that the Christian life is supposed to be 
relatively easy, that that's what the, the good news is about and without sorrows or victorious. Or, this might even be more of you, you think that you are being unfaithful or judged because of distress or suffering in your life. You think that God is not close to you, that he has turned from you as evidenced by the troubles and the sorrows in your life. Please listen. Because scripture and the witness of the church doesn't limit Christian suffering to some of the things I mentioned before, especially the things that I listed with Ukraine. But as we find ourselves united to Jesus, All aspects of brokenness and sin in the world, both personal and structural effects of sin in the world, those things that affect us, those things that stain God's good world and impact us spiritually, physically, psychologically, those things that grieve us and tear us apart are part of sharing in Christ's afflictions, according to Colossians 1. When as Christians we experience and feel the pain and wreckage of fallenness in the world and feel it personally, that too is suffering. You see, suffering is a concrete experience of human brokenness and sin revealing that things are not the way they are supposed to be. So let me flesh this out for you a little bit more. Give you some examples. You might, in your current work situation, have a boss who does not want you to succeed or to progress in your career. So work, which for you is supposed to be an avenue of meaning for you. That's the way God designed reality. Now work feels For you, like a cycle of frustration and emptiness. But you have to keep going to that job to provide. Christian, that is suffering. Or maybe you have a spouse, a child, a friend who once thought you precious and dear. But like a boat from shore, they have drifted away from you. And now that love seems thin and distant and that loss hurts. That is suffering, Christian. Or speaking of the Gospels, the accounts of mental and physical deterioration that you read there especially seemed apt because in your own body or mind or spirit, you feel these very things happening to you. Maybe for years. But unlike the healings by Jesus in the Gospels, your struggle finds some but often not enough relief. Christian, that is suffering. And speaking of Jesus, maybe you live, and there's a lot of folks like this, day after day on the line between faith and doubt. And some days it feels just as plausible, just is reasonable to not trust Christ as to trust. We don't live during the age of the Reformation, the medieval church, the ancient church. We share a lot in them, uh, in common with them. But we have a different cultural and social context that challenges us. 
Or maybe you feel like a misfit in this life because you are a Christian. You're the weirdo. You're the the one Christian at school or at work. But also maybe you feel like a misfit because of how God has made you personally or as a social being. And it doesn't feel like there is a person or people for you and you feel alone because of that. That is suffering, Christian. Maybe someone close to you has died and you are not able to see and you were not able to see them or to be close to comfort them. And the loop on that story does not feel closed. And there is a deep sadness. Christian, that is suffering. Or maybe you have a besetting and ongoing temptation to sin, whether it is anger or lust or envy or greed. And it just gets so old, so tiring. And the thing that you want to do, which is aspire to righteousness, you struggle to do. And the thing that you resist just feels so much easier to do. Here's a few things I want you to know. The Lord Jesus wants you to know this morning that your suffering is your own. Your story, your experience is real and unique. And it is not more faithful to, to, to relativize it or to minimize it by comparing it to others. Or by invoking a grim, distant, austere picture of God who just wants you to get your stuff together finally. That God doesn't exist. Instead, see your life this morning set within the purposes and life of Jesus Christ, the experiences of Christ. We are crucified with him. Yes, the last word for the Christian life is resurrection, which we also experience now by the Holy Spirit. But suffering is not strange. Suffering is not a judgment on you. Suffering is not a referendum on your faithfulness or God's love for you as his child. In a mystery that's probably too deep for words, but goes to the heart of God's work in the world, suffering, while not good in itself, is still used by the Lord for his glory, according to 1 Peter 4. For endurance, according to Paul in Romans 5. And somehow suffering even gives us a deeper knowledge and experience of God himself. The theologian Catherine Tanner writes, the world is perfected. By being brought into closer relations with the God who perfects it. In union with God, in being brought near to God, all the trials and sorrows of life, suffering, loss, moral failing, the oppressive stunting of opportunities and vitality, grief, worry, tribulation and strife are purified, remedied and reworked through the gifts Of God's grace. Those of you here this morning who know this trial, this pain, this suffering, do not lose hope. You are sharing in Christ's life in these things. You are sharing in his purposes now in these things. If y'all watch Ted Lasso, 
I hope you have. It's not a substitute for the gospel, but there's a lot of good stuff in there. Uh, and at the end of season one, he, he, Ted Lasso is a, a um, soccer coach in England. He's an American, but he's coaching a soccer team in England. And his team is just lost. And that just means there's a lot of collateral effect for the loss. And he says, as they're grieving, he said, there's something worse out there than being sad. And that's being alone and being sad. If I can riff on that a little bit, there's something worse than suffering. And that's suffering and being alone. All of us here this morning, all of you Christians this morning, remember this. Because Scripture teaches that no Christian should feel or be alone in their sorrow. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. We are brought together as a community, the body of Christ, to bear one another's burdens, to carry each other's weight and to encourage one another in the grind of Christian experience. And what that means is more often than not, it's not words that we share with one another, but presence, not gifts, but being with them physically, doing something for them, weeping with those who weep. Listening with a holy attention and gently turning their face, even as your face is turned to Christ. You want to know a bedrock, a couple of bedrock questions, or at least one bedrock question for what it means to be a Christian? How is it that we live out our Christian faith? Am I laying down my power? My influence, my life, so that somebody else can find a power and a life that they would not have. Isn't that what the incarnation is? Jesus laid down all he had so that we could have something we couldn't have got on our own. As we think about suffering, the way that question spins is like this. Am I showing up for my sisters and brothers to help carry their suffering? Another way to put it is, am I playing the part of the crucified Christ entering into their need, even as God entered into our need? Or am I demanding that someone else lay down their life, suffer alone, or have to hear bad theology on top of their burdens? Am I on the sidelines watching, playing the part of the crucifying centurion? We have a better way. We have Christ. We share in his life. Let's pray.